from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Here on the broadcast in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market, across from Destiny USA for today's show, Wednesday, September 27th. We're getting started with a one-on-one conversation with longtime NFL and college football assistant Bob Casulo on the football world and what's going on in football right now. And beyond that, that's reaching out into life. From there, we will go to Hall Pass at 10 a.m. Eastern time with Ryan Hall, the head coach of the Syracuse Silver Knights, following the release of the 2017-18 schedule for Season 7. And we'll round out the show with some Carmelo Anthony talk because we haven't discussed Carmelo Anthony to the Thunder yet, so we're going to do that today. But first and foremost, on to the broadcast in the morning menu presented by the Market Diner is Bob Casulo, as I just said, and I'm very happy to have him back here on the show. Bob, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, thank you. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you as well. And, Bob, you know, first and foremost, I know that you and I had a discussion off the air about Alabama, that it's kind of Alabama and everybody else uh, what can you say about, you know, when you're watching these these other games? Because there are teams inside of college football that are taking it to each other. There's teams that, you know, quote-unquote, are not supposed to be winning, according to some people. And then there's Alabama that's just, you know, business as usual, usual suit and tie, go to the field, do what you got to do, go home, do it again the next week. You just what can, what can you say first and foremost about Nick Saban and what he's created in Alabama? Well, I coached with Coach Saban uh, at Michigan State in 1999. Uh, we were co-champs at a Big Ten that year before he left to go to LSU. And I can tell you this, one thing about Coach Saban, first of all, he knows what he's doing. And he has a plan, uh, and he never wear, uh, wavers from the plan. He sticks to it. Uh, when, you, when you're in with Nick, you're in. You're all in. There's no... There's no uh, uh, maybe buts this that no you're all in players and coaches he's a hard-working guy he's one of he's he is probably the best college recruiter as a head coach i've ever been around when he gets into a young man's house with their family he's excellent and when that family and that young man came to michigan state into his office he was even better um i, I it's it's not surprising at all to me his continued success at Alabama. He went to a place that is a bottomless pit of money. Uh, they're very supportive of their athletics. They have a great alumni base, uh, and they let him run the show. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, I'm sure the athletic director and him meet, uh, weekly, but, uh, I'm sure it's next show to run. And everybody just jumps on the bandwagon, which makes it good. Kind of reminds you of the old Woody Hayes days at Ohio state. But um, I, I, after Alabama, it would be a fascinating uh, college football championship season because everybody else is second best. And from from a group, there's a group of about 20 teams after Alabama that could 
probably compete for the national championship. Unfortunately, sooner or later, the ticket says you got to play Alabama, and I don't think anybody can beat them. When you look back on your time, Bob, of you know being with and on the same staff as Nick Saban, what can you say about you know his? I know you said when you're with Nick, you're all in, but his demeanor, the way that he approaches things. What is it about him that maybe to you stood out that's that's different? Because there's there's good coaches, there's great coaches in history, yet Nick Saban every single year, no matter how good the the Dabo Sweeney's and the Jimbo Fishers are and, and, and other teams around the country and other coaches around the country, more often than not, it's it's Nick on the other side of you and he's going to be there in the college football playoff. He was there in the BCS what can you say about him that maybe sets him aside, in your opinion, from being in the same room? He has a plan. He has a process. He knows what he wants to do. He knows how he wants to do it. And he teaches and coaches everybody under him to follow that same plan and those same procedures. Now, if you look in the NFL, you look at the New England Patriots with Bill Belichick, very same structured process, plan, and look at the same success. And by the way, Belichick and Saban are very close friends. It, it, it always amazes me that other programs don't look at Alabama and say, wow, they got it going. How do they do? We need to learn how they do. We need to follow some of their thoughts and ideas. We may not be as, as lucrative financially as them, we may not be able to get all the best players like them, but we can at least improve our program by following their plan and their process. He, he doesn't vary from the plan. Um, like, I, I remember we, we, when I was at Michigan State that year, we beat Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Florida in a bowl game. Now, those are five top ten football teams. No matter what year you pick it out, we beat all five. And he, he is intense he is uh uh not easy to work for <laughs> i can tell you that but once you buy into the program and you realize this guy knows what he's doing you're you're going to make money you're going to you're going to make wins you're going to get championships and, and 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 it's a hell of a plan it really is when speaking here with bob casulo longtime nfl and college football assistant coach like you said, he's 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 not easy to work for, but once you're in, you're all in. What did you take from him as you move forward in, in your career? Because obviously, like I said, you've been around the NFL, you've been in different places in college. When you finally bought in and you're in and you're there 100%, what did you take away from, from him that you can carry into today, that you carried into other jobs? Have a plan and stick to the plan. Fit the program. Establish the program the way you want it, and then fit the coaches and the players, the types of coaches and the types of players that you want to execute your plan. That's how you do it. It isn't grab back, you know, reach out over here, couple plays over there, this player over here, let's try this coach over there. No. Everybody is fit. It's like a puzzle. And all the pieces of the puzzle, when you put them together, you get a beautiful picture. He has a great way of, uh, uh, of, of doing things, and he knows how to fit the pieces of the puzzle into that uh, uh, plan to make the puzzle a beautiful picture.
as we step forward here, and I want to keep with college football, and we're speaking on Nick Saban, whose team, obviously Alabama, is ranked number one, has been ranked number one, and they're 4-0 at the time that, that Bob Casulo and I are speaking this morning. There's a bunch of undefeated teams that are ranked in the top 25. There's one team I want to start with that people probably think we wouldn't start with at all, and it's something that you brought up when we were speaking off the air. Washington State is 4-0, and and Washington State – so far, when you go back and you look at their record, they have gone up against, yeah, you know, the teams of the Montana State team of the world, but they also defeated Boise State, Oregon State, uh, recently Nevada 45-7. to They have USC, the number five ranked team in the country, and that game is going to be played coming up uh, very shortly here on September 29th. So what can you say about Washington State? Because I know that this is a team that you brought up specifically when we were talking and just, you know, they're kind of flying. I mean, I should. they're not kind of. They're flying under the radar. So what can you say about them? Well, I I, I go by coaches. I'm, I'm a very big believer in success starts at the top. You have to have the right coach leading, uh, uh, leading the program to be successful. And you look at Mike Leach's record everywhere he's been. He's been very successful. At programs that are not top-shelf programs. Now, I will say this about Washington State. He's got USC this week, and then, of course, he finishes in the Apple Cup against the University of Washington. I don't know if he plays Oregon. If he does, then he's going to have three monster games to prove himself. Okay? Yep, and he will play Oregon on on October 7th at Oregon. Okay, so I don't care who the other games are on the schedule. Those three teams are his uh, are, are going to be his legacy this year. If he can beat all three, he's going to be in the title hunt in the Final Four. Okay, if he beats two of the three, that's a great season. If he beats one of the three, that's progress. Now I've been to Washington State University. It's in the. It's, I don't want to say it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's not your average big city type university. Okay, it's in the middle of nowhere, and what he does is doing there is spectacular. Um, but like I said, let, let's let's. I like what he's doing. I love his offense, and what he's done is he's turned he, he turns over the defense to defensive coaches. He really doesn't get involved with it, other than why are you doing that? You know, he's probably saying, "Well, look, if you do that, it's very simple for me to do this and beat you." And that's how he helps his defensive coaches. And as the defense has gotten better, Washington State has become better. So that's why I think they have a chance to make their mark. Uh, you know, they could rise. If they beat Southern Cal, they're going to be right up there in the top ten, and then the sky's the limit after that. And looking at a team like Southern Cal so far, I mean, and like you said, obviously the big games, in your opinion, for Washington State are USC, which they will play coming up this week, and then at Oregon the following week, and then they will have at the end of the season at Washington on November 25th. USC, I want to I want to go here. I want to kind of hang with USC for a little bit. What can you say? I mean, every single year there's an expectation of USC. Every single season they're supposed to be on top. They played their game so far. They defeated Western Michigan in a game that was very tight that ended a lot different than the game actually looked, 49-31 to 31 in favor of USC. They defeated Stanford. Those games were at home. Texas was at home. They defeated them. First road game test of the season was at Cal. And they won that game. What have you seen from USC 
so far. The team that is always supposed to be prominent, but this year has started out 4-0, and and there is a lot of, you know, I mean, there's always expectation, but there's a little bit more expectation, I feel, and I sense around the country for USC this year. What can you say about what you've seen so far? Well, T. Martin, their offensive coordinator, was on the Raiders when I coached there, and I know T. He's a great kid. Uh, I still call him a kid. He's a young man, obviously. And he's he's a very sharp uh, uh, football player, which means he's going to be a very sharp football coach. I think Southern Cal, we just talked about Washington State winning this game. I think if Southern Cal wins this game at Washington State, then I think Southern Cal comes back into the picture as, as a prominent uh, potential Final Four football team. Uh, you know, Helton, Coach Helton, the head coach. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a premier program. Pete Carroll, John Robinson, you know, John McKay. It was a premier program all those years, and Coach Helton is not real was not really a premier name. A good position football coach, okay, but really not a premier name. So the pressure from the USC alumni, I'm sure, has got to be great that if he doesn't get it done, let's go get a primo coach. You know, we're not going to get Nick Saban. We're not going to get uh, uh, Pete Carroll to come back. But let's go get a primo coach. Uh, so I think there's a lot of pressure on them. They got talent galore. I mean, that quarterback is fantastic. They always have great receivers. I think the key to them is going to be the success of their defense. And Washington State this week will be a great test, Okay. Because Washington State, they can score against anybody. So it's going to be up to them. So I, I think Southern Cal, I, I'm not ready to say they're a Final Four team, but I think as the weeks go and they, they prove themselves to get better defensively, I think they got a chance to be a Final Four team. When you look at this Final Four, speaking here with longtime college football and NFL assistant Bob Casulo, here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on MixLR.com backslash Wake Up Call DT. When you look at what it is right now with the college football playoff, four teams, there's always a discussion, and inevitably, you know, it's the same thing when we talk about the NCAA tournament. It it was smaller, then it got a little bit bigger. Now it's up to 68. There's four play-in games, and people are still saying there's teams left out, there's teams left out. There's a notion that teams will always inevitably be left out and someone somewhere will have a case that if you if you argue the case, there are going to be bullet points that make a lot of sense. Do you like four? Would you like to see more? What can you say about it? No, four is it's a joke. Four is a joke. There needs to be 16. Take the top 20 right now. If you have it in front of you, okay, and you put – it's four games. If you put 16 teams in there – it's four games to win the national championship. Yeah. Okay? Right now, if I'm not mistaken, number one is Alabama, number 16 is Washington State. Yep, and then you have you have Clemson, number two, uh, right down the line, Oklahoma, Penn State, USC, Washington. Well, don't, well, don't do it that way, Dan. Yeah. Do it 1-16 like they do in college basketball. Okay, do 1-16, 2-15, 3-14. Look at those So games. Clemson, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma yeah. would be playing Miami, Penn State yeah. would be playing Auburn. Okay, now, now you don't have to go any further, right. okay? The point spreads in those games, are any of those games double-digit point spreads? They shouldn't be. There you go. And that's 16 teams. 
you, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Probably the biggest point spread would be Alabama over Washington State, okay? But really, what you're probably going to want to do in that game is take the over on the over-under. Because Washington State's probably going to score, and of course Alabama is too, you know? But my point is, if you get 16 teams, and you put 1 versus 16, 2 versus 15, you got unbelievable matchups. Give me the 8-9 teams right in front of you. The eight nine teams would be Michigan and TCU. Ha, how about would you pay to watch that game? Uh, that that to me right now. I mean, both teams are four and zero right now. If if you told me that was a college football playoff game, I would watch that game. That would be a phenomenal game. You see what I'm saying, Dan? Why would you limit it to four teams when you got the potential of a? Now you look at a sixteen team playoff in college basketball. That's one region, correct? That, that would, you know, that that's because all four regions in college basketball have 16 teams. Right. Correct? Okay. Right. So in, in college football, you're basically doing, now you play four games to get to the championship game. Now here's what, here's the kicker. Okay. At any point in time, you lose the first game. Let's say Alabama beats Washington State. Okay. Washington State still becomes eligible to play in a bowl game if a bowl team wants them, which of course they would. You know, uh, after the first two games, okay, if you're eliminated, you're still eligible for a college bowl game. All the college bowl, if you start the playoff, let's say two weeks after the season ends, so December 15th, you start the playoffs, okay? Yeah. December 22nd, you're down to eight teams, okay? Yeah. December 29th, you're down to four teams. Two weeks later, you play the championship game. Well, December 15th or December 22nd, I, I maybe I'm stretching a little with the second game, but if you lose the first game, Washington State loses to Alabama, they're still eligible to go to you know, the Peach Bowl or the, the, the Liberty Bowl or something like that. You, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. the bowl games wouldn't lose anything, okay? But look at the playoff you would have. Now, okay, the most games anybody would play and it would only be two teams, would be 16 games. You play a 12-game season, okay, and then you play the four four uh, uh, um, playoffs. Now, okay, if you have a championship game, then a potential is for 17 games, all right? Now, you know, somewhere along the line, you got to make a little bit of an adjustment, but my point is 1 through 16 makes for a hell of a playoff. Well, and the, and the thing is, you know, like you said, look at the 8-9 matchup, which would be right now Michigan-TCU. I look outside of that even, 7-10 is Georgia-Wisconsin. You know, there's a Virginia Tech right now would be playing USC, and I think that they fly well under the radar. There, there's there's so many, and, and I, I agree with you it should be bigger, and what you always hear the bounce back on the other side is, and I find it laughable because of the response, you know, who's responding, but... They, you know, the NCAA on the other side, well, what about the kids? What about the kids? Oh, they got to go yeah. to class. They got to do this. Yeah, the NCAA me, is going to make millions of dollars off of this. Let me say this to you, Dan, okay? You talk about the kids and academics and everything. Basketball starts October 15th, and the championship game is the first week in April. Right. And it crosses two semesters. Right. Okay? Football only goes one semester. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And if basketball players... Okay, could go from October fifteenth to April fifth. Okay, well, 
most of the teams are going from October 15th to the third weekend in March. All right? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? What, what is the difference between basketball student-athletes? Why is it they're capable of going six months and maintaining academics and football players can't go one semester? I don't understand. You, 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 you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You're under the same umbrella, the NCAA, and that's a topic for another day. I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> but you're under the same umbrella, yet one group of student-athletes Oh, they're not capable. Their academics are going to get crushed. And then you take another group of student athletes, which, by the way, is men and women. Okay, which, by the way, isn't just basketball. It's hockey. It's volleyball. It's all the crossover sports that go for a long period of time over two semesters. Why are those student athletes capable of maintaining academics when football can't? I don't understand. What are you saying? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's and again, that's kind of a, a that's probably point number seven in my anti NCAA dissertation. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, we get that at when we got hours of the day. But anyway, you you can have a sixteen team playoff, no problem, no problem. Speaking here with Bob Casulo, longtime college football and NFL assistant coach, <clears throat> Bob. I want to I want to go back a little bit here. Uh, in, in, in reference to two coaches that you had been under as a special teams coordinator uh, from 1985 to 1994. Obviously, uh, Coach Mack just passed away recently and and has meant a lot to the program, meant a lot to the community. Uh, his meant a lot to me. Meant a lot to you. And so I want to kind of start there with, you know, going back to, to that time period and, and when Coach Mack gave you an opportunity and, and had you there with him and just what you can – say about your memories of him and, and how important he has been in your life? Well, obviously, I and, and, and I've, I've said this to anyone that would ever ask me, I, I was always indebted to Coach Mack for giving me opening the door to, quote, big-time college football. I mean, you, you know, when you look at how do you get in, people say, well, how'd you get into Division One coaching and then the NFL? Well, Coach McPherson gave me an opportunity and what he did was he didn't anoint me as a, 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 a running back coach or a linebacker coach. I started planning. I was an operations guy before operations guys were in existence. You know, I learned the whole program, scheduling, meals, flights, buses, academics, on and on and on. I, you know, all those I was involved with all those areas, along with the other coaches, but it, it all funneled through, you know, my position. So I learned how the whole program from the inside out. Then he made me the running back coach, bop, 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 and, and so on and so forth. So what Coach Mack did, he, he, I always said, you know, when I used to talk to him quite regularly, unfortunately that didn't happen towards the end because I, I moved on. And I was gone, but I always said to Coach Mack, you need to write a book on managing a football program because I thought that was what he was masterful at, managing a football program. You know, uh, uh, baseball, they've got it right. There's the manager. It's not the head coach. He's the manager. And there's a reason they call him the manager because that is what his responsibility is. You know, fast forward to today, I get so tired of watching NFL head coaches hiding their face behind a play calling sheet 
okay, calling plays and not paying attention to the game. They're not managing the game. And the greatest example of that right now, to prove my point, is the New York Giants. You know, Ben McAdoo, okay, he, in my opinion, he needs to be involved in the game. Turn over the play color. Anyways, let's get back to Coach Mack. I thought he was a masterful manager of the game. If you watch old film of sidelines, what do you notice about Dick McPherson? He never wore headphones. <laughs> you know, that's like sacrilege today. <laughs> that's, don't wear headphones. What, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? But he was managing the game. And what, what, what he was good at was during the week, making your, your offensive, defensive, special teams game plan. Everybody was on the same page. So he, could, he knew he could manage the game. You know, he knew if it was third down and one, you know, he occasionally he would he would take the headphones off of Billy Maxwell and 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 say, you know, hey, what do you want to do? We're going. But my point is, he managed the game, and that's what was he to me. That was what made Syracuse football develop into the program that it was. And then to move forward from Coach Mack to Paul Pascalone, what can you say about? I mean, Paul has found a way to no matter where he goes and whether he moves on or he gets fired or whatever happens, he finds a way to get somewhere else. He, he knows a lot of people. He's networked a lot. There are people that respect the way that he goes about things. I didn't get to speak with him interview-wise when he was the Syracuse coach, but I got to speak with him when he was at UConn. Now he's at Boston College. Steve Adazio, who was his assistant, is now the head coach, and it's flipped the other way around. And and the you know the the protege gives it back to the mentor and, and gives him a job at Boston College. And Paul Pascaloni is still recruiting Central New York. It's still coming in here, still grabbing kids. Just got CBAs. Noah Jordan Williams. So and they tried to get Stevie Scott, who ended up committing to Rutgers at least for now. So well, when you look at Paul Pascaloni, were there any similarities between him and Coach Mack? Was it very different? What can you say about that experience? It was different. It was different. Paul, Paul was not Dick McPherson, nor did Paul want to be Dick McPherson. But he, like the rest of us, he took a lot of traits from Dick McPherson. Paul's strength was he hired a great coaching staff. That first coaching staff, if you go back and look at the 1991-92 Syracuse University football coaching staff, where all those coaches evolved to. Where did they all end up? Okay, and and you'll be you'll be fascinated at where they all are, or were, or had been. Okay, that first two years we were twenty and four, twenty wins, four losses. Okay, we won two bowl games. We had great players. The coaches that were on Coach P's staff were excellent football coaches and excellent recruiters. Paul was a very demanding coach. Okay, at that time he was single, so there was no clocks on the wall. There was no time. You know, you, you worked until the work was done, and it could have been done in one hour, could have been done in 21 hours. But Paul was a very good football coach. Okay, he, 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 he was good. At that time, he was the good for the program, surrounding himself with good people. We all went out and got good players. Paul was orchestrated. He was the orchestra leader of the whole thing, okay? And that's what made us 
continued to be great, successful. Now, I don't know what happened in the waning days, because obviously I wasn't there, so it's not fair for me to, to opinionate that or judge that. But I know when Paul came on board, you know, Jay Crowfam did not want to disrupt the structure of Dick McPherson's coaching staff. So Paul, now myself stayed, George DeLeon stayed, and Glenn Pyre stayed, and unfortunately everybody else moved on and left. But the coaches Paul brought in, they were Paul's coaches, Paul's choices were phenomenal coaches. And look, look what the results were. So he, he, he was a good judge of coaches. He was a good judge of players' talents. And together, that's how we kept that program going. I was there for four years, and then, then of course, I left. And each guy periodically left somewhere down the road. And Paul, like Steve Adazio, took my place. Great coach. Good guy. That's the type of coach Paul always wanted to hire. And like you just said, look how look, look how the circle of life happened. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now Steve hires Paul, which is a brilliant move on Steve's part. You know, but I guess the, 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 the you know I hope I'm making myself clear that Paul did a great job in in taking the traits from Coach Mack, but was able to beat Paul. You know, he, he knew he couldn't beat Mac. None of us could beat Mac. But he was Paul, and he did it his way, surrounded himself with good people, and then we kept the program going. Speaking here with Bob Casulo, longtime college football and NFL assistant coach. Bob, when, when you look at, so before we get to the NFL, I want to ask you about as far as recruitment-wise, when you were out there on the recruiting trail, it's a different world, obviously, than it was back in the 80s, 90s. You know, when you look at Syracuse and Georgia Tech and Michigan State and your time there, fast forward to now with Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, Facebook, and these kids, what they're saying, what they're doing is out there all the time. Anybody can see it. Anybody can get a hold of them. Anybody can get in touch with them. The world of recruiting from when you were out there doing it to what it has become today, what can you say about it now that you are retired, now that you can kind of just watch everything happen? How would you describe the the change of recruitment in just a couple decades to what it's become? Very simple. It's no longer a person business. It's no longer a personal relationship business. I always felt, and I know you know Coach Max coaches, Coach P's coaches, we always felt relationship between the coaches and the players was instrumental. And I'll speak for myself. When I recruited a kid, Marvin Harrison, Donovan Darius, all the, I can't even name all the players that I was fortunate enough to recruit and get to come to Syracuse. The biggest thing was getting to know the player as a person, getting to know his parents, parent or parents, getting to know his coach and his environment, his school environment. It was a personal thing. They have taken the personal attachment out of recruiting. I always felt that if you made a personal attempt, you became so personally involved with a recruit, that 17, 18-year-old kid's got to look you in the eye and say, Coach, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I made it. I wanted to make it so difficult for that kid, okay, to look me in the eye and say, "Coach, I'm going to Yachty instead of Syracuse." And <laughs> if I made it so he couldn't do that, then he's got to say, "I'm coming to Syracuse." You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Now it has become a computer. I don't even know what tweets are, whatever you're talking about. Tweets, Twitters, tattles. I don't even know what that way are. <laughs> I know how to text. I text my wife, but I don't, I, I don't know any of that other stuff. I can't imagine how impersonal recruiting. How do you establish a relationship with a recruit and his family if all you're doing is, is typing on a telephone? I guess that's how you do it with Twitter and all that stuff. And, 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 you know, what, I, I, it just boggles. I couldn't do it. I, I don't know how to explain it, Dan. I couldn't do it today. And I know I still got friends in the coaching college coaching profession that are, of course, my age or close to my age. And they've been through the whole gamut. And every time I talk to them, they say, this is hard. This is hard. <laughs> it's really hard, you know, because you're not establishing an identity, you know, th this is where the head coaches, now let's get back to Nick Saban. To me, this is where head coaches now are way more important. They were important in the past. Now they're even more important because you've got to get the kids somehow to come to campus. And that head coach now has to establish a personal relationship with the kid that we had already done in the past. Coach Mack used to say to us, look, your job is to get that young man in my office. My job is to make sure he stays. And that a pretty good philosophy right there? Yeah. Well, now you look at it, okay? Well, you're going to tweet the kid? You're going to Twitter the kid? How are you going to get the kid in the head coach's office if you don't have a chance to meet him much? Talk to him. Now they say, oh, yeah, you can do that. You know, you can still see him and this and that. Yeah, you can, but it's not a personal thing anymore. You know, and, and, and so I think when you get a kid on campus now, you get him in Nick Saban's office. Nick Saban, I know how he, George O'Leary was a good recruit, uh, head coach. Uh, uh, of course, Mac was the best. Coach P had his, his pluses. And, and, you know, when you when the head coach gets the guy in the office, it's up to the head coach to win the kid over. Our job was to get him there. Well, how do you get him there? You, the parents got to say, or the, the single parent, or the parents got to say, I trust Coach Gasulo, or I trust Coach X. I'm going to go meet their boss and see if this is really what it's all about. And that's how it happened. You, you, you see what I'm saying? The other thing was, Coach Mack always said, before the recruiting season started, he said, I want every coach in this room to bring at least one kid in here that we know we can't get. Example, Marvin Harrison, uh, Rob Conrad, um, John Flannery, who was a great lineman for us, probably ticketed for Penn State. But every coach, you go out there and bring a kid into my office that we shouldn't be getting. And let's see what happens. Well, look what happens. You know, after two or three years, you start getting six, seven kids a year that you're technically not, you know, the pundits say you can't get this kid because you're Syracuse. Now all of a sudden you get them. Look what happens. <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And when you look at, at recruiting, you know, going back to when you were working with Paul Pascaloni and, and Coach Mack and whatnot, you know, they believed in the Northeast. <clears throat> they grabbed kids out of the Northeast. They believed that there yep. was talent in the Northeast. What you hear now <clears throat> is Florida, 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 Florida. You hear Texas. You hear Oklahoma. You hear some, you know, obviously California and Oregon and whatnot, but there's a lot of focus on the South, a lot of focus, you know, out West, 
and little to no focus nationally on the Northeast, on the Pennsylvanias, on the New Yorks, on, you know, even going and finding a kid, digging and finding a kid in New Hampshire, Vermont, or anything like that, Massachusetts. What can you say about recruiting and, and what it's become? Because you look at Florida and you have... Just in Florida, you have FIU, FAU, Florida State, Miami, all these schools. You have the Jimbo Fishers and the Mark Ricks that are going out there and doing that. And so, Let me me answer that question because it's a great question, Dan. Okay? Again, recruiting, you take out the, the, the map of the country, and we drew a circle, a radius of circle around Syracuse University. You guys are probably too young to remember what a compass was. Okay, or or a pro no, I had to I had to use those. I just okay. So <laughs> I have nightmares point, of those. You put the point in Syracuse University, yep. Syracuse, New York, and you draw the circle. Okay, and in that circle, you go get the players. That's what we did. Paul Pasqualoni did. That's one of the things that Paul took from Coach Mack that he really believed in, and he emphasized: we need to be able to get into the car, drive to Philadelphia, drive to Boston. Drive to Pittsburgh, drive to Toronto. Uh, um, you, you need to be able to drive to New Jersey, drive to Delaware, get those kids to come to Syracuse University. You need them, okay? And and once you get that established, and once you get your foot in the door, and you start bringing those players in, okay, that's how you become successful. That's how you fill the stands. That's how you get people to go to a way game. You know, you, you look at you look at right now, and I'm not anti-Florida recruiting because we have many Florida players, David Holmes, uh, 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 just to, I mean, there's many guys, okay, I don't really want to go I, I, off the top of my head, but we have Florida players, but they, I want to say, they supplemented kids we already had from the Northeast, and they were, we knew they were good football players, and they further made us better by coming to our program. But the meat potatoes of Syracuse University, it's got to be Northeast football players. We used to grab kids from Canada all the time. Glenn Young, one of the best linebackers ever. There, there, there's, there's, there's players in that circle, in that circle that you could drive to and get. And you have to get them. And you have to find Now, we didn't get them all. But we got more than our fair share, you know. And 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 there are national football programs, and there are regional football programs. Syracuse is a regional football program. Okay, you need to win the region. That that that's what we were told to do. That's how we recruited, and that's what made us what we were at that time. Fair enough. You know, and in and, and the places that you mentioned, obviously, like you said, Toronto and Pittsburgh and, and you know, even the, the Philadelphia's, the Delaware's and New Jersey's, the wars that you have to win within that area and that region. And that's where you see Syracuse has had a lot of, I mean, they had a lot of success under Paul Pascaloni, whatever. And however it ended six and six, wasn't good enough back then. The dream of six and six would obviously be happy now. And then you look at coach Mack and, and, and what coach Mack did and, you know, Rob Drummond right there from the community and Scott Schwades and Tim Green and you know, the list goes on and on. And even though let me let me, let me add one more thing, Dan. Yeah. And I forgot to mention this. Eastern Ohio. Billy Maxwell, God rest his soul. Billy Maxwell would go into Ohio 
and every year you bring a kid in, and you, 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 you see the kid at the recruiting weekend, a lineman, a linebacker. You look at this kid and go, wow, that's a good-looking kid. How are we going to get this kid? And you know what? Billy got him. I, I would say every single year, Billy Maxwell got a kid from the state of Ohio. <laughs> and, and the kid turned out to be a good player. You know? So, I, And he drove his car there every week, drove it back, got a kid, and that's how you did it. You know? So I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. You know, I told you before I don't want to get into this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is how it was done before. Well, and, and, and I – you know, just just in how you did it, and like you said, you don't want to get into. It. I know you get, um, you know, uh, people misinterpret what I say. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. I'm not being critical. I'm not being critical of the current program. I'm not being critical of anything at Syracuse University. You asked me how we did it. I'm telling you how we did it. Right now, if if nobody wants to pay attention to that, that's fine. But don't criticize me. You know what I'm saying? Don't criticize the way we did it. We did it. This way, I'm go back to Nick Saban. Okay, you see what I got from Nick Saban? I was prepared for Nick Saban because I knew I came from places where you had a plan. Yeah. When I went to Georgia Tech with George O'Leary, George O'Leary had a plan, and we stuck to that plan. We took over a team that was one and ten. I left four years later. We were ten and two. Yeah, you know. So the plans work. That was I worked for Al Davis. You want to talk about a plan? <laughs> Al Davis' program, I'm telling you, I, you don't have enough time in the day. I love the guy. I love the man. He had a plan. And they started getting bad when the wrong people were in the building, okay, that didn't follow his plan. You know, so, and that's a story for another day. But you have to have a plan. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, okay? And, and, I, you know, I don't want people to get. I'm not being critical of anybody or anything. I'm telling you. You ask me. I'm telling you the way I learned it and the way I executed it, and now I'm retired enjoying life. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, whether it's Syracuse, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Michigan State, anybody, and and that was a you know the thing that I was trying to get across with that. No matter what school it is, it's the plan that you have, and I am a firm believer in the. I guess it, to some it's the old school plan now, but I'm a firm believer that if you're going to entrench yourself in college football successfully, you are always going to grab the people that are around you first, and then you'll supplement like you said. And that could be said about a coach in Florida, about a coach in Oklahoma, about a coach in New York, about a coach in about Texas. About a coach in Penn State. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Coach in Penn State. They go through Pennsylvania like Grant through Richmond. They just keep going, you know? And that's you want to know another program that's hurting is Pittsburgh. Why are they hurt? In the old days, Pittsburgh used to go after the same players we went after, and Penn State went after. Now Penn State got the bulk of them, but they could only get so many of them. Pittsburgh and Syracuse got the rest. Yeah, you know. And so and, and 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 Pittsburgh was good, and Syracuse was good. Pitt's gotten away from it. Syracuse has gotten away from it. Penn State still features Pennsylvania kids. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's a, and when it you, baffles me. When you go back, because you brought up Penn State, and that was the last point I wanted to hit college football-wise, there was a time, and I was shocked at this because I'm on the recruiting trail talking to these, these high school and prep school kids all the time, getting their thoughts when they have 15 offers, 50 offers, one offer, 10 offers, whatever it may be. Anytime they have a Penn State offer, they tell me, 
listen, it's James Franklin. This is great. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. Right. Right. I had one kid tell me, Dan, how can I, and it's a, he's from Rochester, kid from Randy, ended up going to Penn State. He said to me from the Aquinas Institute in Rochester, Jake Zembeck, quarterback, he said, how can you sit across from James Franklin and say no to the guy? What did I just tell you about recruiting? Right. Before, what did I tell you? I, my premise was the same thing he's doing is what I did. That kid's got to tell me no. But I've established such a good relationship, and I'm sure Coach Franklin his philosophy is very similar, and you just answered, you just supported what I said before. That kid has to look James Franklin in the eye and say no. Yeah, and can't the, do it. And the thing with with Penn State is that you know all the Sandusky stuff. People are saying, okay, we're gonna weather this. We got to weather the sanctions. How's it going to affect recruiting? What's it going to do? It had a little bit of you know current players. It was a little bit of like a bump. And then as far as the recruiting trail for me. Talking to guys that had a bunch of offers in the Northeast, whether it be Syracuse or Maryland or Pitt or whatever, if they had Penn State, they did not care about what had happened in the past. They cared about what was going on. What I found shocking is that not this year, but in recent history, that there has been the notion of people saying, you know, around me in conversation, hey, you know, I kind of think James Franklin's not that great of a coach, probably going to lose his job. And I said, have, I mean, at any of these guys, I said, listen to any interview that I have done with James Franklin kids, people that he has offered the opportunity to go to Penn State, they want to go there. That yep. They consider that to be one of the best. You could tell them USC and Penn State offered them, and Penn State is just as much front and center. Uh, yep. Did you ever feel like, you know, from watching, did you ever get the notion that James Franklin was on a rocky seat? Because... I didn't see it. I saw a man who, like any other coach, inherits a team, has to work through it, has to get his guys in there, has to implement his plan. And now that he's been doing it, I'm seeing a guy who obviously, you know, can play in a, in in one of those January bowls. Somebody who is fighting right now to play in the college football playoff. He's undefeated. I I don't. I never got the whole James Franklin might lose his job. Did you ever feel that? No. No. The, the same thing is going to happen to James Franklin that happened to Bill O'Brien. When James Franklin is ready to leave to what he thinks is a better job, he will leave on his own terms. Penn State is not going to get rid of James Franklin. He's great for that university. He's great for the game of college football. And, and they're not going to get rid of him. You know, He's going to leave on his own terms. Billy O'Brien, who, by the way, I worked with at Georgia Tech, Billy O'Brien left to go coach the Houston Texans. <laughs> That's a pretty good move. And Penn State's not going to sit there and say, you can't go. They're going to sit there and say, gosh, that's a pretty good move. Yeah. Now you're going to the NFL to coach as head coach of the Houston Texans. Now, James Franklin someday, I don't know I, I don't know what his intentions are or what his goals are, but he might, you know, someday the Green Bay Packers might call and say, hey, James, you want to come and be our head coach? He may go. You know, but Penn State's not going to get rid of him. That's what happens when you hire the right coach. You know, Dick McPherson, at the time, Syracuse University hired the right coach. You know, there's an old saying that life is, it's all about timing in life. Uh You know, but there's a little more to it. Speaking here of Bob Casulo, longtime college football and NFL assistant coach. Bob, to, to shift gears before I let you go to the NFL and to kind of go off of one of your points that you made that is a, a perfect bridge between college and the NFL is that you said, you know, coaches, Dick McPherson never wore a headset. Look at all these coaches now that have the play chart in front of them. They got the headset on. They're not watching the game. 
Sean McVay has found a lot of success in, you know, well, I don't want to say a lot of success. He's found some early success with the Rams after Jeff Fisher with a lot of the same players that Fisher had. Sean McVay, who's 31 years old and, and a NFL head coach, same age as me, and he's the head coach in the NFL. You look at Sean McVay and what he does. He's an offensive guy, an offensive mind. There's been criticism of when the defense is out there, he is sitting, <clears throat> looking on you know his screen, trying to figure out what the offense did right and wrong and how to get better on the next drive. What can, what can you say about that? Who's the defensive coordinator? For the Rams? Yeah, Wade Phillips, right? Yeah, yeah. Former head coach, longtime defensive coordinator. Successful okay. defensive coordinator. Successful coordinator, successful head coach. Sean McVay knew what he was doing. The Los Angeles Rams knew what they were doing. They brought in a co, for lack of a better term, head coach to run the defense. When John Gruden won the Super Bowl with the with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was the defensive coordinator? Monty Kiffin. At that point in time in his career, Monty Kiffin was probably the number one rated defensive coordinator in the NFL. They go and hire the Los Angeles Rams, a 31-year-old wonder guy. And Sean was one of our uh, 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 assistant coaches at uh, quality control coaches when I was with the Bucks. Great kid. Great kid. He's running the offense. Wade Phillips is running the defense. So I think sooner or later, Sean McVay is going to evolve to become better as a head coach. Yeah. Look at Bill Belichick. When Bill Belichick was calling the defenses at the Cleveland Browns, he wasn't successful as a head coach. He goes to New England. He finally turns over the defense to Matt Patricia. Bill Belichick is invincible now. He, he's obviously arguably the best head coach in the NFL in the history, but right now he's clearly the best head coach in the NFL. Okay, He, he delegates responsibility, and he manages the game. Manages the game. That's what makes you good. That's what makes you real good. And, uh, and, and that's just my opinion. To look at the NFL right now, and what it, I mean, it's only a, a few weeks in, but I, I want to go to one of the plays because there's there's been rule changes, and the Detroit Lions seem to be at the, the butt end of every rule change, the Kelvin Johnson rule, <clears throat> all these different rules that – that have happened in the NFL, Detroit in this new scenario was playing at home against the Atlanta Falcons in week yeah, three. I, I saw it. The, yep. Gold, yep. the Golden Tate, you know, in real time, it looks like a touchdown. I mean, in real time, he catches it, falls in the end zone, touchdown. They rule it a touchdown on the field. You have, to have, you have to have irrefutable evidence to overturn this rule and or to overturn the play the thing that I don't like about this, and I said as an official, I could, I, I just would not make this call, is that there's an automatic 10-second runoff. They had another down to play. So it's not like you just call the touchdown off and they get another shot. You call the touchdown off and the entire game is over. They don't get a chance to react. What can you say about the rule, about the 10-second runoff, and, and about this Golden Tate touchdown? It was ruled a touchdown. And that I've watched this thing probably 20 well, or 30 all, times. Look, I can't I'm, I'm not anti-10-second runoff. Because of situations that I, I think college should incorporate that. They may have, I don't know, but the pro 10 second runoff rule is a great rule. The problem is, the problem is, that was a touchdown. I don't care. If you've got a micro slow mower, 
from seven different angles and then determine that it's not a touchdown, that's wrong. That's wrong. It was a touchdown. Go back to the tuck rule. I was on that sideline. You remember the tuck rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. That rule no longer exists. The problem with rules in the NFL is they are reactive after the fact. After the fact, now there's going to be some modification probably. This was probably a situation where when the 10-second runoff came into existence, this perhaps wasn't an example of a 10-second runoff. However, when the play happens and the 10-second runoff is applied, it is an applicable rule, but that probably wasn't the intent of the rule originally. Okay? However, you have to apply it because this is what happened. But forget all that. The play, in my opinion, was a touchdown. <laughs> it's like the tuck rule. You go into a bar room, you got a hundred guys sitting at the bar, you watch that play, a hundred guys say that's a fumble. Yeah. You put the Detroit Lions play on the other day, a hundred same one hundred guys say that's a touchdown. I, I mean if it's if it's you know, does the do, does the Atlanta Falcons head coach, Dan Quinn, that's a touchdown, game over, the Lions win. Does he go into the press conference and say, that was not a touchdown, that was not a touchdown? He's going to have a hard time doing that when you look at it because it's 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 not clear cut that it's not a touchdown. You see what I'm saying? But now by calling it not a touchdown, the whole world is upset because, you know, and now they're blaming the 10-second runoff and on and on and on and on it goes. And it just You make rules and you end up getting shot foot with it you know and and i and you you brought up the tuck rule and you said did you remember it i had to go back to so i want to preface that i want to go i had to go back to the the snowball you said you were on you were on for that game obviously because of you know the raiders playing up against the patriots and the tom brady pass of you know where people say this is a fumble it, you know it's a fumble no it's a forward pass no it's this and the the rule <clears throat> section three or rule three section twenty two article two note two, when an offensive player is holding the ball to pass it forward, any intentional forward movement of his arm starts a forward pass, even if the player loses possession of the ball as he has attempted to tuck it back toward his body. Also, if the player has tucked the ball into his body and then loses possession, it is a fumble. So right. you know, I they, but you know, I feel like there's always something in the NFL that they have to adjust to and try and figure out, you know, is this or is it not? Going back to the tuck rule, how fr- I mean, you got to look going back to this, I mean this this is this is one of the this like of all history, people will debate this play like you said for the rest of eternity. So being there for it, I mean, I want to go to that. I mean, what's your recollection of having to see this play that was just well, replayed over and over again? Let me say this to you. Okay? Take the next 15 years after that season and do the New England Patriots and the Oakland Raiders. It was a disaster. That play single-handedly set the Patriots on a path of success, and that play single-handedly set the Raiders on a path of destruction. Now, we did go to the Super Bowl the next year, okay? We did, all right? But from that point forward, after the Super Bowl, it was a path of destruction for the Raiders, and the Patriots still to this day are successful. Yeah. Now, 
people are going to say, what's he, crazy? That's one play. That play, that play, let me tell you something. It was devastating. It was devastating to Al Davis. It was devastating to the Oakland Raiders. It was devastating to the Oakland Raider football program from that point forward. Okay? After the next season, they never recovered from that particular... Look, look, you know, and I can go on and on and on about it. It was it was just... And let me say this to you. I was standing next to John Gruden. John Gruden turned to me and he goes, everybody on our sideline is ecstatic. John Gruden goes, you ever heard of the tuck rule? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, we're not going to get this call. John Gruden knew. Yeah. He knew. Now, he had some choice words for the officials, okay, <laughs> which I can't repeat on this. Uh, and I was standing right next to him when he was expressing these feelings towards the officials. And sure enough, the officials came on and they, they enforced the tuck rule. And we lost the game in overtime. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's it, now the they waited till L. Davis died. And now there's no tuck rule anymore. There's no such thing as a tuck rule. So, so we'll they- see. The question is, in, in in closing, the Atlanta Falcons are now three and zero. The Detroit Lions once again are are on the the butt end of a rule and whatever yep. in the NFL. There has been there's been obviously a want or a desire by some people for Jim Caldwell to to go to the podium and say. That was a touchdown. It was a bad call. Let's just call it what it is. Detroit doesn't want to be what we've been, which is over the years, we've been the butt end of this and the butt end of that. We're not going to do it anymore for the NFL. Could Detroit become the new Raiders, and could Atlanta become the new Patriots off of this play? I don't think so. I think the, I think the Falcons can become the new Patriots. I don't think the Lions will become the new – I don't think it's as devastating. The, Jim Caldwell is a good man and a good coach. And he's a program coach. Players love playing for Jim Caldwell because he's a great guy. I don't think, and, and that's John Gruden was a great guy too. But you know, I think it's a diff, I think what you're doing, you're you're putting apples with oranges here. Um, I don't think the Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions are on the upswing. You know, what, what was it? It was just maybe what eight nine years ago they were zero sixteen. Yeah. So they've come a long way, baby. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I don't think they're going to uh, – It this week is going to be a critical week for the Detroit Lions coming back from that game, okay? If they can win this next week game, they're back on track. Now if they lose the game, you know, people are going to start saying, geez, I wonder if that's a hangover from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, I, no, I, I think the Detroit Lions are on a path to success also. The Falcons are really on a path to success. So I, I think there's two teams to be reckoned with. Final thing for you, Bob. Biggest surprise team that you have making the playoffs this season and biggest surprise that you don't have making the playoffs. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a Florida team in the playoffs. I don't think Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, or Miami are going to be in the playoffs. I, I think all three of those teams perhaps are up and coming, but I don't think they have the uh, the uh, the whole picture to go in the playoffs. So I would say the state of Florida is not going to be in the playoffs this year. You know, as for a surprise team in the playoffs, oh boy, that, 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 that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you, you, know what Herm said, you, know, you know what Herm Edwards said, Dan? 
What? That's why we play the games. That's very true. I mean, could do you think the? I mean, is is there a shot in your opinion for the Rams to to shock? No, because somebody? what happens in football is the same thing that happens in Major League Baseball. In June, Major League Baseball, everybody's got a chance to win the World Series. Right. Okay. Yeah. In September, the cream rises to the top. Right. In pro football, you know, I coached it for ten years. You know, in September, everybody can win the Super Bowl. Okay. Once you hit December 1st, the cream rises to the top, okay? So every once in a while, a surprise team will sneak in, okay? But usually that surprise team gets beat right away, you know? So it's – it's I, I don't know, Dan. It's hard. Let's play the games and see what happens. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting, especially in the AFC South, AFC West, which has actually gotten pretty competitive right now lately, and – the NFC West, which just looks like uh, somewhat of a debacle, but the Rams are on top right now. Bob, yep. as as always, it is an absolute pleasure. I always bracket out a big stretch of time because I, I really appreciate going to different areas and different topics with you. So I thank you for being part of the first hour of today's show and always happy to have you back. More, more than anything, I hope that you are enjoying life with family and retirement life in a very sunny and relaxing place. That's that's what I care about. And oh, yeah. and yeah. What, how were you from the storm? I have family all over Florida, but I know you're in the Fort Lauderdale area. How, how was everything? Are you guys okay? We're okay now, but let me tell you something. It's a unique experience. I mean, you know, up in your, up in your neck of the woods, you get those severe snowstorms, yeah. you know, where you get three feet of snow. Let me tell you something. When the wind starts whipping around at 110, 120 miles an hour, uh, it, it's scary. Our, our air conditioning system on our roof got pretty much destroyed. Uh, but we're back to normal. Everything's back to normal. But the devastation of trees and uh, uh, the beach, it, it's <laughs> you have to experience it to believe it. It's uh, Nature is, is uh, Mother Nature can be very, very cruel. Very cruel. Well, you know, I, I know that there's there's always a threat of hurricane season, but hopefully you are through this, past this, and it, and it is over. I'm happy to hear that everybody's okay. I know Florida's strong, and I know that obviously there's a lot of good people down there. So my hopes to you and, and to the family that, you know, things get cleaned up around, and, and like you said, you guys are good, but hopefully this is the end of it and you can enjoy the rest of the summer. Well, going into the fall right now. Yep. And I know one thing, in January, when you guys are getting pounded with a snowstorm, I'll be calling you and saying, hey, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Listen, I worry about the ice more than the snow. Just don't ice my power lines. That's what I look at. Well, Bob, as always, it's a pleasure, and I appreciate it, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thanks. Take care, Dan. All right, take care. That coming once again from Bob Casulo, who was Syracuse's special teams coordinator did a bunch of other jobs at Syracuse under Dick McPherson and then Paul Pascaloni from 1985 to 94. Also worked as an assistant at Georgia Tech with George O'Leary. Also worked at Michigan State with Nick Saban. And for 2000 to 2003, four seasons total, special teams coach with the Oakland Raiders. Two seasons, special teams coordinator with the Seattle Seahawks. Two seasons, tight ends coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in 2009, was back at Syracuse as an assistant head coach, special teams, and tight ends coach. I want to thank him for all that he has to say, and I want to thank him for his time as always. We'll take a quick step aside. Speaking of time, to get ready to have Ryan Hall on the show for Hall Pass in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. 
Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DreisigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DreisigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrySigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Here on the live line, which is inside of the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, is one of my favorite people in the planet, and it's because, you know, we're brothers. So with that being said, Ryan Hall of Hall Pass. We get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Just like a Hall Pass would take you to any room and any floor of your school, that is what we can do with this segment. And we are also, of course, going to talk about the Syracuse Silver Knights as he is the head coach of the team. First and foremost, Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well. And I know the schedule for the Knights that we have been waiting and, and people have been anxiously and uh, impatiently awaiting this thing, and, and it finally came through for the schedule of the Syracuse Silver Knights for the seventh season, 2017-18. What can you say about, uh, you know, now that the schedule is finally out and people can go and look at it and whatnot, there's 11 home games, I believe. So what do you think about the uh, the schedule now that everything is set? Yeah, you know, I mean, it definitely took a little bit longer, but there was uh, countless revisions. I mean, you, you have you know, various teams with various traveling schedules. Everybody wants, you know, home games. They want this, that, and the other. So to try to get everybody on the same page um, was probably a near impossible task for, for Kevin Mulligan, who does our, who does the league scheduling. Um, for us, you know, uh, some good, some bad. I mean, not necessarily bad, I would say, but, you know, some challenges. Um, you know, back in the heydays, in the earlier years of my career, when Tommy Tanner was playing, we used to, you know, we had a much larger schedule. We play anywhere between 40 and, and I think it, up most is up 65, 66 games. 
So we would have to play back-to-back games, you know, home away, and sometimes three games in a weekend. Well, you know, needless to say, they gave us one of those this year. Um, we actually have to travel to St. Louis, play them Friday night. We have to drive then to Milwaukee, play them Saturday night, and then drive back to St. Louis to play them Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Uh, so we have a, you know, a three-banger right on the road, um, you know, and, and not, none of them are in the same city. you got to go back and forth. So that, that's a bit of a challenge. These guys uh, currently have never experienced that. Um, it used to be sort of the norm back in the day, but, you know, I've only had a few text messages and phone calls on that's got to be a mistake, what's going on, but, you know, stuff like that. Um, we obviously start on the road in California, uh, you know, which is, you know, who wouldn't want to go to California, uh, playing Turlock on a Friday night and then, you know, down in San Diego on a Sunday. A great opportunity for our guys, you know, to, to see how – you know, truly tested in the first weekend against one of the you know the perennial powerhouses in San Diego, of which you know the majority of them are either former teammates of mine and a lot of our players. I mean, they're all seem to gravitate to San Diego, but it's a good schedule. We're on the road a lot in the first half, which then ultimately means we're home a lot in the second half. So you know, we we got to get through the gauntlet at the beginning, and then you know, hopefully uh, use the home field advantage. You know, for us down the stretch. When you look at the schedule, you can't help but notice the the lack of of, of a very hopeful thing that that people wanted was Rochester Lancers coming back. What can you say to to that respect? And obviously, coming out with the schedule and knowing that they're not going to be there with how important the rivalry has been when it has been happening. Yeah, you know it's it's obviously disappointing as the you know the Lancers and Silver Knights is a great rivalry, a friendly rivalry, but a rivalry none. You know, nonetheless, um, you got to take your hats off to Soccer Sam and Doug Miller, who literally went to the 11th hour, um, you know, pulling every string they could to try to get the game back in Rochester. Um, you know, we are hopeful that, you know, maybe come 2018-19 they'll be back, um, you know, along with Toronto, which is only two hours up the road. So, you know, it, it, this northeast area could be a, a hot buzz for indoor soccer. Um, you know, there's, there's no question it's, it's disappointing they're not there, but, you know, there's not much we can do now. we got to focus on, on the season ahead. You look at the fact that, like you said, you're going to be starting on the road. Your game's at home. The Ontario Fury will be the first home game, which will be Friday, November 10th at 7.05 p.m. Eastern time. And then you'll have the Florida Tropics at home, which people have gotten somewhat acclimated with after the first season of of Florida going up against you last year. Harrisburg Heat, which has tried to work in some type of a rivalry. Obviously, the Baltimore Blast will be at home against you, the Tropics again, the Cedar Rapids Rampage, which have played in Syracuse, and then a little bit more of Harrisburg before Milwaukee Wave and the Baltimore Blast, and right in between that the St. Louis Ambush will come to Syracuse for a Friday, February 16th, and a Sunday, February 18th doubleheader over the weekend in the On Center to face you. But what can you say about you know the home schedule, what you're excited about, what fans should know, Obviously, they know a lot of these names and a lot of these teams, and there's some former Knights that will be coming back to Syracuse. So what can you say about the home schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing the league did a good job of is, although we are in the Eastern Division, in years past, they've loaded up our games with the same three, four opponents. So you would see, you know, Baltimore seven times and Florida seven times. Rochester, we play them seven times. And so, you know, through the Although they're they're fun games and they're rivals, and you get tired of seeing the same teams over and over again. So I think the uh, the league did a great job in, in you know switching up who's coming here. It's a lot more diverse. We play everybody in our conference four times. So you know you guys, the the fans get to see Ontario from California come in. They get to see St. Louis. They get to see Cedar Rapids. They get to see Milwaukee. So the teams that you know they're not typically used to seeing all the time, 
you know, it, it's good to get a, a broader range of, you know, the various styles, the West Coast style versus the, you know, the Eastern Division versus the Midwest Division. Um, you know, and, and like you said, St. Louis is coming twice, and, and former player Jared Gibson has recently signed with St. Louis. So he'll be back in the building. You know, there's players who have, um, you know, to make a, a small example, like the Rio Grande Valley Barracudas down in Texas have, I think, five of our former players that are down there. I mean, I think their starting lineup is all Silver Knights 2.0. Um, unfortunately, we don't get a chance to match up against them. But it, I think they did a great job on, you know, mixing it up and not so that teams aren't seeing the same opponents week after week after week. That coming from Ryan Hall of the Syracuse Silver Knights, head coach of the team inside of Hall Pass. Before we start throwing Hall Passes back and forth, Ryan, what other notes can you give us about the team, about signings, about about how everything's coming together? What can you tell us on this morning's show? Yeah, so, you know, I know players are and fans are anxiously awaiting releasing of who we've signed. Um, if you go on the website, I was actually chuckling the other day, if you go on the, the league website and you click on individual teams, you see who they've currently signed. And you click on ours, and we have one single player signed to date, and that's Toby. Yeah. Uh, Darren Toby. So, you know, I was chuckling because you'll go to a Baltimore or Harrisburg, and they have 24, 25 guys, and they're always one single player. Um, you know, I, I do want to say we have signed players. Um, we have been submitting them to the league. You know, we've, we've haven't released those players only because we have to get, you know, the, the confirmation from the league. Um, otherwise, we'd be kind of jumping the gun. And if there's an issue, whether it's a visa or uh, suspensions, this, that, and the other, you know, we kind of don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But we do have players signed. Um, we've been talking to a couple of young players that are from this area, uh, some who have played locally at colleges that we are really excited about, who have been drafted and moved on to the next level um, and, you know, want to give indoor shot. Um, which, of course, I will help and try to bring them in. But we'll talk to you offline and, and see what we can do about getting those guys announced on air. Um, you know, so th- there's, a, there's a good buzz. Um, it, it may seem as though we're behind the ball, um, but we're not. You know, I can assure the fans we're not. We're, we're still trying to pull some strings and some, you know, some deals in the back end. Uh, but we do have players signed. We're going to be re- releasing them and making announcements over the next 10 days. Um, and there'll be a bunch right in a row because, you know, truth be told, preseason starts in four weeks so we'll start getting those names out and and we're excited to get this thing rolling and i'm excited uh, obviously to share those with everybody once you know you get clearance and everything set up and you can do that so i look forward to that as well it's hall pass time and i've asked the questions to start off our conversation so i'm going to defer to you and give you the first hall pass to throw my way what do you got for me well i'm gonna I'm sure this has been a hot topic for everybody and anybody. And to be frank, I'm sort of sick of seeing it on Facebook and social media. But so I'm going to leave the NFL and all that issue alone. However, thoughts on the NBA. Now, what I mean by that is, obviously, uh, uh, Kyrie Irving has left the Cavs. Um, I'm not sure if it's officially, but I read somewhere that Dwayne Wade, now that he's got the buyout of Chicago, might be going to Cleveland to join LeBron. Yeah, like $2.2 million for one year. But then I heard a rumor that uh, CP3... Carmelo, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, they're all under one-year contracts with the idea of next year all of them going to the Lakers. Have you heard anything about that or your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that. Hmm. (laughs) You know, I had a conversation last night. I was out in Oswego at Greensdale House and Grill, and I was doing a live show with Dan Kane, who's the Oswego State uh, men's soccer head coach there. And after the show, 
we're sitting at the bar and there was, you know, some people that had been there listening to the show and really appreciate it. Shout out to Brian and Joe that I had, uh, that I had met that really got into this conversation specifically with me about baseball and about, you know, basketball and how you could buy a championship team. And I said, you can't really do that in football. You can't really buy yourself a championship in football. But, you know, in baseball, the Yankees get critiqued all the time and the Red Sox get critiqued and, and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, you know, the NBA has kind of become this too where you essentially can just wait it out and buy yourself a championship. So what do I think about it? I mean, we've been hearing Carmelo and CP3 forever and a day. LeBron James and Carmelo, they never got to play together in college and this and that. They haven't played together in the NBA. And Carmelo went to Syracuse for a year and LeBron came out of high school. But maybe he was going to go to Ohio State if he had. So, yeah, you know, is there this notion that's always hanging in the background that this could happen? Yeah, absolutely. What do I think about it? I, I miss the days where you had to draft smart, get good veterans, have a good coach, and build a plan and a system. Now all you got to do is just wait until a bunch of guys are going to retire to have a big party on your team, and for better or worse, your team gets to be the spotlight. If they all go to the Lakers, it's a different scenario. I'm not saying that they're bad players, but it's a different scenario from what it would have been if they had all come there when they were two, three, four, or five years in the NBA. You know, Carmelo Anthony doesn't really play defense. So he's out there to shoot the ball. LeBron James and Carmelo on the same team, it might be fun, but it might also be, you know, okay, who's getting the ball? Chris Paul, who are you going to give the ball to? So, you know, there's there's a dynamic there that you have to figure out. Outside of that, these are, you know, it's kind of like getting the gang back together, you know, 27 years later to fight Pennywise. You know, I mean, they're all going to fight, but, you know, these are guys that are getting ready to retire. So... I don't know. I mean, it could be, it's obviously going to be something covered forever in a day, but where does that put Lonzo Ball? Because obviously he'd have to get the hell out of Dodge. So I just don't, I don't like the notion of buying a team. I don't like the notion of, oh, well, let's, I, I like that they all want to play together, but at the same time, does it guarantee a championship? Absolutely not. Because you still got to face off against other teams out there that are really, really strong. And, you know, I think that there's the underestimation of the Spurs, the underestimation still in that situation of Golden State. So, I don't know. I mean, do I like it in the sense of Space Jam? Yes. Do I dislike it in the sense of how does it guarantee a championship and what does it do to the rest of the NBA? It kind of makes it a joke. I mean, I don't... People already get upset about the NBA. And on top of all of this when there's mega teams, you know and I know that we could have fallen asleep through 82 games last year and the entire playoffs up until the finals, and you and I both know who was going to play in the finals. That is not something that should happen. I know the Bulls did it for a while, but it's just not. The Bulls faced other teams. The Bulls had adversaries. You know, they had Seattle. They had Utah. They had other teams out there. I, I don't like the notion that I can literally not pay attention from now until June, and it's like, well, I know the two teams that are probably going to be there, and I think that that frustrates a lot of fans. It's a great answer. It's a long-winded answer, but there's a lot of stuff inside of that. My question to you is, being an Ohio man, Cincinnati 
did not beat the Packers, but they knocked on the door after not scoring a touchdown in four in in the first four quarters, and then the next four quarters of their season, eight games, eight or two games, eight quarters, did not score a touchdown, even though they're supposed to have firepower. They give it up to Green Bay in Green Bay. Cleveland, Deshaun Kaiser's look good, but he's not playing mistake-free. So you look at Cleveland, Ohio, and Cincinnati, Ohio, and both of those teams are 0-3. As an Ohio hopeful, what do you think about the NFL right now? Well, one, I'm loving the NFL. I mean, it, you know, obviously my Redskins showed up to play against the Raiders Sunday night, um, played outstanding. But in terms of, like, the Ohio rivalry, uh, it's interesting because, you know, as you know and everybody else knows, typically the Cincinnati has, as everybody else does, the Browns number. Um, I think the Browns are getting better game by game. Kaiser, you know, there is a hope there. Um, he is making mistakes, but he's young. But he's, you know, he shows. There's there's, there's an excitement there. Um, and, and they played well this last weekend. I mean, they came a field goal short, uh, but they played well. Uh, Cincinnati looked good. You know, Marvin Lewis is – Marvin Lewis, right? Is the Cincinnati's coach? Yes. Austin and Marvin Levy was Bills. Yes, Marvin Lewis. Um, you know he, he's been there for ages and has done a great job. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big Andy Dalton fan. Um, I think he's just very inconsistent. Uh, you know, but it, it's interesting because the state is just completely torn. If you're, you know, Columbus is stuck in the middle, and then if you're north of Columbus, you're a Cleveland fan. If you're south of Columbus, you're a Cincinnati fan. And so it's interesting to see them both bicker, even though both teams consistently lose. Um, you know, I'm enjoying the NFL. I mean, I, I could deal without all the other. Uh, nonsense that's going on, you know, whether regardless of what side you, you know, you believe, I, I want to turn on the, the TV to watch them play. Um, but, you know, at the same token, I love football season. I love watching the game. Um, I, I am also on the fence with where the game is going to go now with all these concussion protocols and, and the effects that they're showing after. I mean, you know, part of the enjoyment of watching the game is watching the collisions, the big hits and stuff like that. And so if they start to remove that, you know, I feel like that's, that's, you're taking the purity out of the game, but at the same token, you have to look out for the player's safety. So, right, um, right now, I'm loving it. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful the the Redskins can make a good push if they play the way they played Sunday. You know, we should be in good shape. I do have a supplemental one. It's a it's a fan question, and they asked Ryan, "What's up with your fantasy football kicker inside of the Wake Up Call Fantasy Challenge?" and the reason why they ask that is because the only kicker that you have on your team is on injured reserve, Caleb Sturgis, and you have not replaced him with anybody. So, well, <laughs> I'll give your, up. That's your question. hundred percent, and that's a great question. It's a valid question, and I'll do. I'll change that tonight. But I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't even checked after week one. When we did, I beat you last week. Did you beat me last week? No, I don't think you did. Let me see. I don't, I'm pretty sure you didn't, but let me go back to week two. Where am I here? So week two. Oh, my God. You did. 91-8. Eight. Oh, you came back, you jerk. Yes, you, you know did. What I mean? You're terrible. So this, this, is part of, this is part of my grand scheme. You're a terrible person. It's unbelievable. <laughs> this is how we do it. This is the crazy oh. thing about this, though, okay? Latavius Murray did not score a point for you. Your kicker was on injured reserve. What does that say about me? Now, you had Kareem Hunt, <laughs> who had 22. Martavis Bryant had 15. You had the Broncos quarterback, Trevor Simeon, had 28. So here's the thing. Tariq Cohen didn't show up for me. Tyreek Hill had a bad week. Martellus Bryant. And this was the week Larry Fitzgerald had two points. So I'm not mad at the people that I put out there, but, you know, 
I'm just I'm just gonna say what it is on live radio. You're a terrible person. That's <laughs> this is goes to show you never know. I mean, this is like Stephen A. Smith trying to pick the winner in the NBA championship and being wrong for like what nine, ten straight years. Well, because he hates LeBron James. Well, there's there's a there's a you know. Or does he like LeBron and then the other guy? I don't even know anymore because I feel oh, like no, it's all BS. It's all it BS. is all BS. I mean, you, you watch his analysts and the NCAA bracket stuff like this, and they pick the teams, and they're always all wrong. It's the same as being a meteorologist. You can guess what you want, and who knows? It's a flip of a coin, but there's a method to the madness. So, hey, whoever, <laughs> wherever that question came from, don't worry about this kicker. When he comes back, he's going to get some points, but I will check in tonight and try, and try to replace him. Well, Jake Elliott, who replaced him, had a 46-yarder and a 61-yarder, and you definitely would have won your game this week if you had put him in. So, yeah, what are the odds of a of a? Was, isn't he a rookie? Hitting a 61-yarder. Jake Elliott that hit the 60. It's it's so I'm gonna. Jake Elliott is a name that like doesn't come over your radar at all. And Jake Elliott, for, he well, first of all, he kicked the 46-yarder to tie the game. Then he hit the 61-yarder to win the game. And as soon as it was happening, I'm like, I know he's going to make this. I know I was, it's the funniest thing was I was buying wine and they were watching an NFL stream on the computer that was at the checkout register of this kick. Jake Elliott is a rookie fifth round draft pick out of Memphis. And he was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals and they let him go to Philly. They let him go to Philly and now he's kicking 60 yard field goals for Philly. Outside too, in the wind. Outside, yeah. It's and not like it's in a dorm. It's not like it's in a dome on turf. Now, if you if you miss a field goal in the dome, there's there's not too much you can say to yourself. So I will give you two hall passes since you know one of the listeners put you on blast and then I asked you a question. So go ahead. <laughs> so completely switching gears, I was uh, rummaging through some of the stuff in my basement and pulled out my old original NES. Okay. Had to hook it up, playing. Some of the classics, Zelda, play some Donkey Kong, Mario. I mean, it was through the moon excited. Uh, what was one of your favorite original NES games? Super Mario 1, Super Mario 3, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Done. I mean, that's without hesitation. I, listen, I just got mine from my parents' house, and I took it home, and it's down in my office, on the ground, ready to go, and I have to find where in the F I put my games. The funny thing is, I put the, I was like, where's my Super Mario game? It was still in there. It's been in there for, like, years, so that's there. But I bought the Rescue Rangers game, and I have to find where I put it. And then I'm going to then I'm gonna play it, and then you and I are going to play against each other. We're going to oh, make absolutely. it happen. We're going to make it happen. So go ahead. You got another one for me. Looking at the Silver Knight schedule, which team do you think are you most excited to come see, you know, when they come to the, the War Memorial? Oh, boy. Which team am I most excited to see on the Silver Knight schedule when they come to the War Memorial? I would say, and without hesitation, the, the home opener against Ontario Fury. I'm excited for that because I have never seen Ontario up close. And I would say, I mean, I like watching the Milwaukee Wave. Baltimore is always fun, but they frustrate the f out of me because you could be in that game. you could be up seven and nothing, and Baltimore will literally just be calm, cool, collected, kick the ball around, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then it's like eight seven they win. So I would have to say, you know, Baltimore is always a big game, and you know when when Syracuse pulls off those victories against Baltimore, those are huge. So that's a game I circle, but I would say Milwaukee, for some odd reason, ever since I 
started with a team I always liked watching Milwaukee, but Ontario is probably the biggest one that I'm excited to see because you don't see them show up on the schedule too often. So I'm going to go with Ontario, but anytime San Diego wants to come over, or if you want to take me to San Diego, I'm cool with that too. (laughs) Everybody seems to be wanting to volunteer for that trip, but nobody wants to go to this St. Louis, Milwaukee, St. Louis trip. I'll do St. Louis, Milwaukee, St. Louis. I'll make that happen. But there's no NFL, there's no NFL games for me to see. So that, I mean, that sucks, man. I mean, I've been in St. Louis since they lost the Rams and they still had the banners up and the signs up. I was like, it's kind of like when you break up with your ex-girlfriend, but she leaves a box of stuff in your apartment. It's like, if it's done, it's done. Go home. I don't want to be around you anymore. No, you can't have your toaster. I already set it on fire. So, you know, but so my last thing to you, Ryan, really quick, because I know you got to get hopping. My hall pass to you and you can throw one my way after this. I know we've talked about this before. Funniest ex-girlfriend story that you can remember off the cuff right now. Funniest ex-girlfriend story off the cuff. Uh, All right, fair enough. So when I was in college, um, my girlfriend at the time, she went to Virginia Tech. She came up for the weekend to visit me. We went to, I don't even know if it's still there, Lucy's. I don't know if it's still on the hill or I think it's recently sold. It used to be Lucy's. Orange Crate now, yeah. So now it has an upstairs and a downstairs. In between, it's maybe a four-step little tier that you just got to go up and down. Yeah. Uh, we were out. All the soccer guys were there. I mean, it was, it was like a Thursday night. The place was packed. And this broad, one, we had too many adult beverages. But as she's trying to go up the stairs, she bites it. Not only does she bite it, on the way down, she takes out like four different people. Nice. Now, the gentleman that I am started bursting out laughing <laughs> i could not i couldn't help it of course immediately once i once she made eye contact and i saw the you know the stare of death at me i had to help her up etc and, and you know apologize to everybody but i can still see to this day it's like watching somebody slip on ice and you, you can see them and they're struggling they're struggling and boop, there they go it was epic i mean i oh my goodness uh, it was it was hysterical so that's got to be one of my favorites Okay, so so you as the gentleman that you are watching your ex girlfriend fall up the stairs and you know just kind of standing there laughing at her and not going to help her right away. Okay, so you're correct, you're, correct. Your last your last one for me. What do you got? Well, speaking of you know obviously the NFL, I was watching um, NFL greatest running backs of all time. Okay, who would be your top three? Oh God, uh... top three. I struggle with this. If you give me the current Jacksonville running back, I'm hanging up right now. Listen, okay, just because I watch games in the comfort of my own house doesn't mean I'm an idiot. So, like, (laughs) this is the thing. Everybody's got to, like, this, and I talked to a fan about, and this will make people very happy. Let me say this really quick. I spoke to a Bills fan last night. Shout out to Joe, okay? Spoke to a Bills fan in Oswego, and I said to him, I said, are there Bills fans that drive you crazy? Despite the fact that you're a Bills fan too. He looked at me and he goes, of course there are. He's like, there's so, and I said, thank you. Because people get upset with Bills fans and like, we're going to win every game and we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And that was a Bills fan saying about Bills fans that some Bills fans need to tailor it back. With that being said, obviously I'm not picking a Jaguar. If I go back in history, I mean, man, greatest of all time. Or top three. I mean, that's pretty, you can argue. You know, I see. See, I can. I can get like. I can get biased. So, because of the fact that I just watched his football life in Emmett Smith, and Emmett Smith was like insane. But 
I don't think he's one of the greatest of all time. If I had to choose right now, and I cannot believe that people have, there's some lists out there that have Ezekiel Elliott as one of the top 20, 27 greatest of all time, and that makes me want to throw up. So, anywho, my top of all, well, yeah, that's that's just idiotic. My greatest of all time, obviously, I have to say Jim Brown, and it's not because I'm from here. I have to say Jim Brown. I gotta say my man, Sweetness, Walter Payton. Yep. I am not saying jailbird OJ. I'm none of that with OJ Sims. I can't. I can't. No matter what people say, they're like eleven thousand yards. I don't care. I don't care. All I know is if I ever try to pull off a murder, I hope that OJ will help me out. That's all I'm saying. But, and I know that that's inappropriate, but whatever. We all know he did it. So Jim Brown, Walter Payton, and ugh, I think I got to say Eric Dickerson. Oh, wow, wow. I okay. think I got to say Dickerson, but you know, you got Earl Cam. See, if it was me, like, knowing that... I want to say Barry Sanders so bad because I grew up watching Barry Sanders. So, well, that, but that's the thing. Like, I feel like I have to say Eric Dickerson, but, and Eric Dickerson was awesome. And shout out to Eric Dickerson, who we've never met in person. We've connected on social media, but, uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say what I want to say. You asked me who I would put up there. Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, because nobody played the game like Barry Sanders and the Detroit Lions took Barry away from us because they said you either play for Detroit or you don't play. And it broke my heart because he was maybe going to play for Miami. I didn't care what he did. I don't care if he played for the Pop Warner girls team in Cicero. I would have gone to see Barry Sanders anywhere. If he was playing for North Korea, I would go over the bridge and watch him play. Okay, that's what I know. I love Barry Sanders. I would, I, if Barry Sanders called me today and said, we're running from the law, I need your help. I'm jumping on Barry Sanders' back, and we're making it happen. I mean, I, this this guy was just—he was like the greatest. Because nobody, none of the cops would ever catch him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and the cops never caught OJ either. <laughs> <laughs> as as always, Ryan, I appreciate you being a part of today's show and and coming on here doing hall pass every week. Uh, you and I have some uh, have some talking to do, some prep to do, and a lot of exciting things coming up. I look forward to it, and I'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Take care. All right, man. See ya. Bye. That coming from Ryan Hall. Johnny, don't say I'm working you up, man. Come on now. Barry Sanders. Barry the Barry Sanders. The this man, okay? Now we'll never know the full story, or maybe we will. Maybe I'll talk to somebody, interview somebody someday that's gonna tell me the whole story. But, you know, maybe I'll interview Barry. Okay. I don't know. I'd love to, but I am, I am frustrated. Okay. I'm very frustrated that Barry Sanders had more time, at least two more years to play. And it didn't work out. And whatever went on with the lions, it upsets me and it frustrates me. And OJ Simpson, I was having some playful joking around with you. You were a phenomenal running back for the Buffalo bills and did some good work in the NFL in general with the bills and the Niners over 11,000 yards and then you stole your memorabilia, and I'm happy that I don't owe, own any of your memorabilia because you couldn't come and get it. So, Johnny said if I interview Barry Sanders, he's got to be there. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But Barry Sanders, the man looked like he broke his ankle every game. He bent his ankle down to the ground and continued to run. It was uncanny. 
Uncanny. Jim Brown. If Jim Brown had stuck around. If Jim Brown had stuck around and not become an actor. Oh my goodness. One-time NFL champion. Three-time NFL MVP. 1957 to 1965 with the Cleveland Browns. Pro Bowl nine times. First team All-Pro eight times. Led the league in rushing yards eight times and rushing touchdowns five times. 12,312 career rushing yards, 106 career rushing touchdowns, 20 receiving touchdowns. Hall of Famer Jim Brown, who I interviewed, by the way. Very appreciative of that. Sweetness. 16,726 career rushing yards, 110 career rushing touchdowns, 15 receiving touchdowns, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl nine times, first team All-Pro seven times, one-time NFL MVP, one-time Super Bowl champion, 12 years with the Chicago Bears. Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, 1989 to 1998, one-time NFL MVP, Pro Bowl 10 times, first team All-Pro 6 times, led the league in rushing 4 times, rushing touchdowns once, Pro Pro Football Hall of Fame, 15,269 career rushing yards, 99 career rushing touchdowns, 10 career receiving touchdowns, it feels like it's so much more than that, but it's like, did you watch him play? Have you watched him play? Amazing. You can argue Emmett Smith. You can argue Tony Dorsett. You can argue Eric Dickerson. You can argue Earl Campbell. I know LaDainian Tomlinson did a lot, but I'm not arguing him. Gail Sayers. You can argue Gail. I mean, it's just there's so many... Marshall Falk. Who caught a ball out of the backfield better than Marshall Falk? I'm not putting Adrian Peterson in this darn thing. Curtis Martin, 14,000 yards. Bo Jackson. He didn't play that much, but people love Bo. I know that the Bills fans out there are screaming Thurman Thomas right now at the live feed. But when you look at the greatest of the greatest of the greatest of all time, Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Gail Sayers, Eric Dickerson, Earl Campbell, Barry Sanders, Tony Dorsett, Emmett Smith, you can argue any of those guys. The live feed's blowing up. What's going on over here? He would have smoked Payton record and Emmett would he have retired two years earlier. I think two years later he met. Uh, what else we got here? That's my childhood idol, Barry Sanders. Ran behind a what line? Put Barry behind Dallas line. What does he have? Put Barry Sanders behind Dallas's line right now? Barry Sanders did something against a... Were the Detroit Lions good when Barry Sanders was there? No. No. They weren't. Barry Sanders should have won... Two, three Super Bowls. But he didn't have that. I mean, when you think of a player like Barry Sanders, and I ask you, if if I say right now at Sales Restaurant tonight for trivia, how many Super Bowl championships has Barry Sanders won? You know people in the room are going to go, well, he. I know he lost. I know he got at least one. He didn't get any. Barry Sanders was insane. He was the only good thing the Detroit Lions fans had to watch 
on Sundays and Mondays and during Thanksgiving. Barry Sanders made anybody watch the Lions because it was Barry Sanders. It was the Barry Sanders show all day, every day, all the time. If he was behind Dallas's line right now, he's got 15,000 yards. If he's behind Dallas's line right now, he'd, he'd boost that to 20,000. He'd have over 100 career rushing touchdowns. The man would be insane. So, Barry Sanders, though. Barry Mother freaking Sanders. I get so amped when I talk about Barry Sanders because I grew up with Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith on television, okay? I was spoiled. I'm not saying that there's not guys out there right now that are good, but I was spoiled, okay? I had, I was watching two of the greatest players of all time when I was a little kid. Watch Emmett Smith's story. Go back and watch Emmett Smith of Football Life. Tell me you don't cry a little bit. Tell me you don't tear up a little bit. And him talking about Moose Johnston, Daryl Johnson, who came who came to Syracuse, played at Syracuse, was like a one-star, no-star, and then won three Super Bowls with Emmett Smith. Three-time Super Bowl champion, one-time Super Bowl MVP, Pro Bowl eight times, first-team All-Pro four times, NFL career leader in rushing yards with 18,355 and the NFL career leader in rushing touchdowns, 164. Led the league in rushing four times, rushing touchdowns four times. Elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders. That was my childhood. Okay. That was my childhood. Which also included Marshall Falk, Curtis Martin, Jerome Bettis. That was my childhood. Thurman Thomas, Terrell Davis. That's what I got as a kid. That's what I got as a kid. Marcus Allen. That was my life growing up, okay? The freaking Ezekiel Elliott. He's in his second season. This freaking guy is in the top 30 of one of the NFL polls. Yeah, I, can't, I don't know. Don't agree with it. I'm not gonna. You can't make me. I'm not gonna agree with it. I don't like it. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. How many times was Emmett Smith potentially charged with doing something toward a woman? Okay. These lists got to have some type of respect and rapport, too. That's why O.J. Simpson, I can't put O.J. on my list. I know O.J. was a good running back, but it's like, look at O.J.'s life. I joked about it a little while ago, with no disrespect to O.J. Look at O.J.'s life. Look at where O.J. is at. Okay, well, Dan, you know, that doesn't, he was what he was on the field, and you can't take that away from him. Listen, I look at the con, I look at the content of somebody's character. It's not just about what you do on the field. Because if I'm going to revere you and I'm going to talk about you with my children, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, da-da-da, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And, oh, Daddy, tell me more about Emmett Smith, or tell me more about O.J. Simpson. Well, he was in, like, the biggest trial ever, and he didn't go to jail, and there was a lot of evidence against him that probably could have put him in jail, and it became a big joke, and it was very confusing. Then he went to jail later. Well, Daddy, what happened to his wife? Is she a nice lady? Um, <laughs> you know, what do you say? We're like Eric Dickerson. I just heard him a little. I love, I love hearing from Eric Dickerson. Love hearing from Eric Dickerson. Man, you look at these guys. Earl Campbell, though. But Barry, Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith. I could talk about them all day long. 
We're going to take a step aside. want to make sure that we don't give the young man a conniption over here. We're going to take a step aside for a fast break, and uh, and we'll get right back into it here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. This is a Wake Up Call Fast Break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalwear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. We spoke with earlier on in the show very much thank him, Bob Casulo, longtime college football and NFL assistant coach, who is with Syracuse under Doug Marone, Paul Pascaloni, and Dick McPherson. And I really appreciate talking with him about you know his time as well as you know the importance and the memory of Dick McPherson and, and what Dick has meant to him in his life that was very meaningful, and, and I appreciate his time for that, as well as everything else that we got to talk about. We just jumped into Hall Pass with Ryan Hall, Syracuse Silver Knights head coach, and he is always on Wake Up Call in that signature segment, Hall Pass, that you can hear monthly and weekly, typically Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Last week we had something come up, but and they've been trying very diligently to get their roster and their schedule together in the 11th hour, preseasons in four weeks, so got to understand that. But he is typically on the show every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. 
and now in the morning menu, probably presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny USA. It is time to get into Carmelo Anthony. I have not spoken on this really that much. Carmelo Anthony to Oklahoma City. I've been saying for a very long time that Carmelo and the Knicks need to part ways. Now, I love New York City. I love the fact that he's there. I love the fact that it's the mecca of basketball in Madison Square Garden. However, I don't like the state of the Knicks. I didn't like Phil Jackson or anything that he was doing. I just do not like the way that... Since the Knicks lost Allen Houston, Chris Childs, Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, that team, since that team went away... I have not enjoyed what the Knicks have put out on the on the court as a product. With that being said, Carmelo Anthony is finally going somewhere where hopefully he can win a championship. And he wrote this letter, and I wanted to read it. Dear New York, from the day I first met you, I knew we were meant to be together. It was love at first sight. From a very young age, you taught me something that I will never forget how to survive within the belly of the beast. I must admit it was scary, frightening at times, but not fully aware of my purpose. I was being molded and prepared for the rest of my life without even knowing. My first nine years went by so fast. By the time I really was starting to understand, it was time for me to move on and start another chapter in my life. That chapter was called Baltimore. Instantly, I'd fallen in love again. Hence the saying, love has no barriers. I guess I was all too familiar with the belly of the beast. I learned how to survive. I learned the sense of community. I learned about responsibility as well as becoming a P-O-M-E, product of my environment. You catch my drift. Then I had to depart again to go on this long journey where my art of war skills would be tested. Lots of good times and lots of bad times. Losing myself at times, questioning myself in the midst of finding knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Several years, months, days, hours, seconds went by and I found myself having an opportunity to get back with my first love. It's called Cypher in my lessons. It was a sense of rebirth. I came to New York City to be, be, born again. The sense of something extraordinary happening left me with a lot of sleepless nights dreaming of possibilities. That one thing I kept myself The one thing I kept telling myself was make my mark in New York City and I'd be a made man. New York equipped me to make it in any other place in the world. It taught me how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Saying goodbye is the hardest thing to do. I never thought I would, especially to you. Nor, no one will ever take your place. It's hard to find someone like you, so you will always be missed. You helped me laugh. You helped. You dried my tears. Because of you, I have no fears. You came into my life, and I was blessed. It's time to raise my hand and say goodbye. It's not the end, because like I've always said, New York City till the end. I've known you for years now, and I must say they've been the best years I've ever had. You helped me become the person I am today. I just want you to know you will always be in my heart. No matter what happens, I will always love you. Although this goodbye is just temporary, this is the hardest goodbye for me to say. I wipe the tears off my cheek and smile at the same time because I know that we will meet again someday. I've had my shining moments upon this life-darkened stage. And in my book of wonderments, you will never be just another page. Your bright lights will travel with me far past when all the other lights go out. The years pass by, 
the times change. The only thing that survives and transcends the inevitable pro- inevitable process that shines brighter with each new era is the record of a great human spirit that has endured struggle and remained true to its deepest convictions to the very end. I had to ask myself toward what goal or achieve- achievement am I striving in life? I know life can be full of contradictions. It can be unfair, unforgiving too. I cannot afford to dismiss it and turn back, turn my back to the world. I was given a choice to sink or swim. I'm choosing to swim till the very end, no matter how much the seas around me may rage. Thank you. This is Mellow. Thank you to all my fans who supported me through thick and thin and those who continue to support the Knicks regardless of the outcome. Thank you to Jim Dolan and the Knicks organization and all the hardworking people that don't get the credit they deserve. And most importantly, thank you to the city of New York for allowing me to represent our city. Peace be with you. Mellow. Did you get chills? Because I did. I got chills. Mellow gave me chills over here. Getting chills. You know, what's that new song that's out now? Don't Be Afraid to Catch Feels. I don't like that, okay? But I, I don't... I don't like that that in this day and age, in 2017, we take every word that's not that long and we cut it shorter. Can't say don't be afraid to get to have feelings. It's don't be afraid to catch feels. What is feels? It's feels is what you do. Feels is a thing. A feeling is something I hold with inside me. Feels is an action I take. I'm feeling it, right? I'm feeling it. Feel a little bit of this, feel a little bit of that feels i don't i just don't get it i don't like it i don't know what it is and i don't know why i brought it up because it upsets me it upsets me like johnny b gets upset about barry sanders it's the same thing it's the same thing what if somebody confused barry sanders with bernie sanders that would be a party so (laughs) but with that being said we're going to take another fast break we'll come back we'll talk about some of these mellow words and, and what i think about mellow moving forward in just a minute this is a wake-up call fast break. Gear up with the real deal at Drysig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DrysigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game 
inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Pennant Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family. My family. Their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu, but we'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT Here inside of Wake Up Call, we're in the morning menu as we are every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora Special, Belgian waffle cut in half, filled with a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. It is something that is absolutely worth your taste buds. Go out and get it exclusively at the Market Diner, 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. Once again, the Market Diner. Make sure you find your way over to the Market Diner and get yourself the Dan Tortora special. Much appreciated for everybody that's gone out there and done it already. Speaking on Carmelo Carmelo Anthony before that fast break, I asked the question on Twitter, and thank you to everybody that voted. A bunch of you did. I said, who won in the parting of Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks? Your choices were Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks, neither, or both. 53% of you said Carmelo Anthony won the parting of Carmelo and the Knicks. 17% of you said the Knicks won. 20% of you said neither won. And 10% of you said both. Carmelo Anthony joining the Thunder is blank. 71% of you said awesome. 29% of you said shocking. 0% of you said terrible as Carmelo Anthony is now a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Craziness. Oh, by the way, for Johnny B to continue to, you know, hyperventilate through this show, and I apologize, Johnny B, but 
I got to tell you what's going on here. I put up a poll that said, was Golden Tate in the end zone or not in week three versus the Falcons? I cannot make this up. I cannot make this up. 50% of you said yes. 50% of you said no. (laughs) I cannot make it up. I feel like the majority of people thought he was in. And then I went and looked at the poll. It finished yesterday. And I went and I read the poll and I was like, oh, well, I guess I got to mention this on the show tomorrow. 50% of you said he was in 50%. It's just so funny that it, that it ended up 50-50 because it was such a close call and it was too hard to call, which states the case that it shouldn't have been called the way that it was called. It just shouldn't have been. So, ay ay ay. But that is the call. That is what they chose. Carmelo Anthony, am I happy that he's in Oklahoma City? Absolutely, I'm happy that he's in Oklahoma City. I'm very happy that he's in Oklahoma City. You know why? Because Oklahoma City can win games. The Knicks are atrocious. The Knicks are absolutely atrocious. It's just they're atrocious. They're gross. They've been a dumpster fire for a long time. Carmelo Anthony's moving to power forward. I like this. So let's look at the roster for Oklahoma City, shall we? Steven Adams from Pittsburgh, center on the team. Huge dude, seven foot. Carmelo Anthony. Isaiah Cannon from Murray State. Samaj Kristen from Xavier. Nick Collison from Kansas. Raymond Felton from North Carolina. This guy named Paul Paul George that I interviewed when he was a rookie for the Pacers. In 2009, you may know him, Fresno State. Jeremy Grant, some kid from Syracuse that, you know, I keep in touch with that was pretty good here. No big deal. Dakari Johnson, another center, another seven-footer, Kentucky. Patrick Patterson, Kentucky power forward. Russell Westbrook, this kid from UCLA. You may know him, you may not. All of a sudden, Oklahoma City is, like, making me excited about Oklahoma City again. When Oklahoma City, when Kevin Durant and the Seattle Sea, the Seattle Seahawks, the Seattle Sonics uprooted and went to Oklahoma City, I was like, okay, I can, you know, let you know, let me let me roll with this. I like the logo. Let me see what they got. And I started watching them, and I was like, wow, this is a fun team to watch. I kind of like, I enjoy watching this team. And they just, I kind, they kind of hooked me, right? Now they have Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony. Paul George, two seven-foot centers, Jeremy Grant, Nick Collison. There's some good players on this team, folks. Not as deep as other teams, but this could be exciting. This could be really exciting. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George all like to score. So how's everybody going to fit in this? Oh, and shout out to Josh Hustis, who I've seen playing multiple years down in NBA Summer League in Orlando. Kid's a baller out of Stanford. Small forward. Love this kid. Number 34. Get to know him. And where does Jeremy Grant fit in all this? How cool is this, though? Jeremy Grant, Carmelo Anthony, Syracuse guys from a different time get to play together. That's the beauty of what sports does. It always creates storylines. We'll take a fast break, and we'll come right back to wrap up the show and let you know about tomorrow in just a second. This is a wake-up call fast break. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue 
in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. Hi, this is Sal Lamedico, owner and operator of Sal's Pizza and Restaurant, 41 East Genesee Street in the village of Ballersville. We're family-owned and operated since 2002. We take pride in customer service and quality of food. Where it's paramount, we don't choose between both. We offer carry-out, delivery, and catering. Or you can bring your family and friends in and enjoy friendly staff and comfortable atmosphere. Trivia is offered once a week, every Wednesday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Call us at 315-638-8505 or visit us online at salspizzabville.com. We're here at Sal's Pizza Restaurant. We're more than pizza. Green's Ale House and Grill, located on 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York, is your home for all the games all the time, Sunday through Saturday, no matter what the sport is. It's also your home of Wingmaster Jabber, who's constantly in the kitchen creating wings that have won awards and you love to eat every single day of the week. At Green's, you'll also find the Wake Up Call with Dan Tatora live on location coaches show, exclusively dedicated to the Oswego State Lakers' numerous sports programs. There's only one place to go in Oswego, and that is Green's Ale House and Grill, 104 West Bridge Street in Oswego, New York. We'll see you there. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. 
This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Manja, wake up call listeners. No, seriously, Eat Up at Manja Italian Grill. Open six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, right on the Seneca River. Every Thursday is game show night from 7 to 9 p.m. hosted by Dan Tortora with live music every weekend. Join us every Sunday for brunch at 10 a.m. And don't forget to try our famous Lobster Bloody Mary. Call us at 315-638-8500 for reservations, parties, and catering, or visit us at manjabeville.com. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Wrapping up today's show, I want to thank Bob Casulo and Ryan Hall for being a part of the show. I want to thank Carmelo Anthony for his beautiful words that, once again, Gave me chills to New York City. And I want to thank you for listening in. I'm ecstatic about trivia tonight at Sales Restaurant every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Can't wait to see you out there tonight, 41 East Genesee Street in the village of Baldwinsville. I will see you at Sales at 7 p.m. for the best live trivia around. And I want to get you started for tomorrow's show. We're going to replay my live show that we did in Oswego with Oswego State Lakers men's soccer head coach Dan Kane, who is 6-2-1 at the time of our conversation. That replay from Green's Ale House and Grill will happen tomorrow to start off the show. At 10 a.m., we'll have Papa Joe's Picks at 10.50 a.m. Eastern Time. Of course, we will be getting into Through the Looking Glass, brought to you by Looking Glass Events, as we always do. Check out lgweddingsandevents.com. And, of course, we'll be previewing around 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Will, and later on in the show, we'll be looking at Thursday Night Football's game, and we're going to have to talk about Rick Pitino. There's a press conference at 1 p.m. today, and wow. So, there's going to be something to say about that, I am sure. God bless. Have a great day. Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, Instagram at Dan Tortora Media, wakeupcalldt.com. I'll talk to you all soon. God bless you, and have a great day.